Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hey, mate, welcome back to the show. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, we are staring down the barrel of a yet another calendar year of investing in hopefully fast-growing, um, high-quality companies. And we figured, why not give um, our listeners a cheat sheet on some companies and some industries that we find to be really exciting and really interesting. Um, I think what we'll discover in this discussion of these three uh, thematics or three, three themes is that it's kind of open-ended. There are companies in these industries that are still growing. There are some that dominate particular parts of it, um, but the industry itself is growing fast. What I would say is that if you have any questions, reach out to us on Twitter. We've got at 7A Mahanti and myself at Owen Rask. You can find the links in the description for this episode. Just look down into your podcast player and you will find it there. Um, before we get into the three thematics, which I'm really excited about to talk about these, these three, um, can you just tell us, I know Seven Investing have the holiday sale still going. So tell us a little bit, bit about this. What do people get if they go to the website and they use this particular coupon code? Yeah, so, so Seven Investing is running a, a holiday promo. Uh, and the holiday promo, if you use the promo code holiday, then it gives you an annual subscription, $100 off your annual subscription. So the annual subscription is $3.99 um, per year, US. And if you use the holiday code, you get it for $2.99. But the cool mm -hmm. part is that you can then lock in this $2.99 rate essentially into perpetuity as long as you remain a member. So it's $2.99 this year or whenever you sign in. Uh, then the next year when you come up for renewal, it's still $2.99, whether the, you know, the rate at that time is $3.99 or $4.99 or whatever it is. If it's gone up, you still lock in this. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of saying, I think, uh, thank you for being a loyal member. Thank you for being uh, around. And you know, what's the point of increasing the price for someone who has been around with you for some time? That's mm. At, at the you know at the you know we're not going out and recruiting them again so you know we give them that saving uh, you, mm. you get the saving um, for that so I think that's the holiday promo it's up until the seventh of January um, seven investing oh, it's um, it's available until the seventh of January yeah so yeah. yes it's it's uh, seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe and then use the code. Yep, you can uh, you can find the link in the show notes. Just don't forget to use the coupon code. I think that loyalty is really important because in finance, it's often the opposite. If you go and get car insurance, you get home insurance, you get anything. Typically, it's the the loyal customers which pay more. They might give you a new shiny card for that year, but you end up paying more. So, another hint is shop around. Um, if you, if your business is not like Seven Investing, um, shop around. So we're talking about three thematics. We were going to talk about five, but we realized that's a lot and we could probably do an episode on each of these things. So we're just going to give you the high level kind of what the industry is, what's exciting about it, and then name some companies that you can chuck on your watch list. So the first one, and I'm going to lean heavily on you for this one, mate, because I know you've done a lot of work on this recently, which is cybersecurity. Just for, for people that are listening, if you do like Anirban's uh, kind of dissection of this, this um, sector, please check out the show notes because there is a full webinar on this and it's free from seven investing. So go and check that out. You'll find the zoom link um, in the, the description. So cybersecurity, mate, why is it interesting? What are some of the companies describe some of the technologies in this sector? 
Yeah, so to keep it at a high level. So, so number one thing to realize is we are increasingly connected, very digital, right? So uh, whether you're booking a vaccine appointment or checking something online, doing banking, we do so many things online. Mm. Uh, that also means that bad actors have, you know, found that online is a great way to actually, you know, disrupt, cause havoc and things like that. Um, so if you think about just, you know, ransomware attacks and hacking that's going on, there are various estimates out there, but McAfee's research says that some, somewhere in the order of a trillion dollars are impacted globally uh, because of cyber crime, right? So cybersecurity is therefore very important, just, just not because of the economic loss, but because of the disruption and all the pain that it causes. Now, cybersecurity has been important for a long time, but I think the way enterprises and big businesses used to conduct their cybersecurity was they used to protect their IT assets. And that was because most of your IT assets used to sit in a data center in your office and in some cold room uh, with a lot of air conditioning running, all your equipment is there. So you put in you know, all these machines and firewalls and heavy equipment that basically prevents mm. access. And the idea was basically a very age old idea of, you know, build a moat around your fort, right? So you've got a fort and you build a moat and you, you assume that anybody inside the fort is basically uh, approved or legal or allowed, um, anybody outside the fort is potentially a, an offender or an intruder. So you don't want them in. So you only have special ways to access the fort or get into the fort or get into the office in this case. And that worked fine until sort of our way of working changed. And the way of working changes slowly. So we went to the clouds and our applications are running in the cloud, whether they're private applications or you know applications like the CRM, Salesforce CRM or whatever, or Workday and things like that, you're accessing them from the cloud. So that now you're, you're protecting the fortress no longer works. That's one. The, the other thing is that people are accessing uh, work in so many different ways, work from home, bringing your own device, you know, different types of connections. So you really cannot provide secure connections all the way to all of these different devices at different places and times so because we access things anytime, anywhere, using any device that we want to nowadays, right? So that has sort of changed the game in security. And that has resulted sort of in this new sort of trend towards what is known as a zero trust uh, security framework. And the idea is that you don't, unlike in the previous world, where you, you trust the people inside your network and people outside are being, you know, trust people have access. You basically say, well, the network is just a conduit for carrying information. And you want to basically make mm. sure that the information that is passing through is secure, right? And so that's one level. When people are accessing, you want to make sure that they are the people that are accessing. So that's identity, right? So you want to secure the pipe end-to-end, -end, assume that the pipe is end-to-end -end secure, encrypted and secure, but also just carrying information. You check them at the endpoints. You ensure that the endpoints that are accessing are um, trusted and have the identity that they have. And then you also still build a perimeter, but you build a perimeter using a software in software-defined technology instead of hardware because you can't build a hardware perimeter. So this mm. think of so I think of security as now layers, multiple layers that you put in um, to essentially ensure that your important data, your uh, IT infrastructure, which is globally distributed now, is not impacted. So that's the trend. And when these sort of things happen, they allow sort of a change from the previous vanguards who used to be basically point solution providers and providers of solution that is hardware solutions that used to sit in the data room 
center of your office, now that has sort of all shifted, those guys have a hard time sort of transitioning to a cloud-based world, but there are all these new players that are specifically focused on the cloud world. So that's sort of the high-level pitch. There's a paradigm shift happening. It's more important cybersecurity has a huge economic impact and there are new gen companies that are taking advantage of the sea change and building new technologies that make our future more secure one of the i think that's a fantastic overview i think the kind of multiple players in this space it's important to understand the architectures i think the one company that i really like is okta it's a company that i own shares in um it's a really interesting business run by a great visionary um, CEO. I think the thing to keep in mind with a lot of these companies that we see today as industry leaders, in the past, they 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 were thinking about this five or 10 years ago, right? And it's only now that this is happening. And so these people are often multiple years ahead in terms of where they see the industry going. And um, for me, I find a lot of comfort in hearing directly from these people when you dial into the quarterlies and those types of things. Um, so just just in summary there, which companies do you think maybe people should consider popping on their watch list? Yeah, so there are a number of companies I think that are of interest. So uh, one company that I think is very interesting, I, th I think I know you like that company, is called Okta. Um, OKTA is the code, I think, listed on NASDAQ. Uh, this company does, right, uh, for mm. businesses and enterprises um, and for also for for customers of enterprises, right? So if, you, if you're a Marriott and you want to manage the database of all your customers, how do you do that in a secure fashion? Um, so things like two-factor authentication, managing access to all the apps that an enterprise might want to access and uh, allow it employees to access and things like that. That's an interesting company. Um, if you're interested in sort of, you know, securing the pipe, and making sure that everything that is going through the network pipe is secure, then there are two companies that's worth thinking about. There's a company called Zscaler. The code is ZS um, on, on NASDAQ. And, and that's a very, very interesting company growing really quickly. Uh, there's another company called Cloudflare, which has a bunch of other things, but it's also very active in the security space. That's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, the code for that is NET, and that's listed on New York Stock Exchange. If you're interested in sort of the endpoint space, so where instead of running like a malware detection software on your computer or your, uh, or your iPhone or your iPad, you run their software and then their software sort of is a lighted agent that basically talks with every other agent that is out there. Mm. Uh, then there's a company called CrowdStrike that you can basically look at, which is sort of the modern version of, uh, you know, how we used to do malware detection in, yeah. in the old, but this is more real time. Everything happens in a real time sort of fashion um, or as close as real time. So in, in, in cybersecurity, one of the things that's big is can you prevent what's known as a zero day attack? So an attack that nobody has ever seen or a malware that nobody's ever seen. And then, you know, the machine learning technologies come into play or at least in near real time um, where some, it's happening in one part of the world and that sort of information disseminates very quickly to other parts of the world. There are so many companies in the, the sector that I think um, people can sometimes get confused if they're not technical professionals. But I think if you just start with this list of companies, so we've got uh, Okta, uh, Cloudflare, uh, CrowdStrike, Zscaler. I think these companies, and if you jump onto that webinar that we just spoke about from Anirban, you're going to get the sense of which companies matter and which companies are leading this industry. And these are companies that, are really sticky, deeply embedded businesses. So, you know, all the standard metrics apply that we've spoken about in the past. So things like customer retention, customer growth, 
how much that is each individual customer spending. These are all, you know, SaaS metrics that we love to see in these businesses. And this is one of those sectors where it just keeps chugging along, just moving higher and higher. So some really interesting companies that if you, if you are interested in um, cybersecurity, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. Just jump in and tell us what you think about these companies or if there's something we're missing um, with any of these businesses. So uh, you can find us on Twitter in, in the show notes. Please use those uh, links. The second sector that we might talk about, and I'll keep it a little bit brief because it's a little bit, um, I guess, harder to invest in right now in a way that I think, personally, that I think is in a way that aligns with what we've talked about on the show a lot. And this is basically the rise of Web3 and cryptocurrencies uh, more broadly. So maybe we can just talk about, I guess, what the internet is, and that sets the scene for Web3. So typically, um, well, in the past, let's say in the early 90s, you would have gone to the internet and you would have seen um, you know, a web page, you would have clicked with your mouse that was connected via a cable to your computer, it would have taken forever to load, you would have clicked, you might have read something like a web page or a blog or, or something of that description. And you as a user of the internet in the early days, what you would see is you would see basically a static page, a page where the person on the other end who, who has the server that serves your browser, that information, basically just, you know, they give you what they want to show you. That's the end of it. There's no interaction, basically. Then, you know, Web 2.0 came along and effectively what it meant was this is when um, the internet kind of hit its stride as we know it today insofar as people were able to interact with the internet. And they were able to do that through forums, through social media platforms, through things like Zoom, like we see today. And basically what happened when we went from web one to web two is we saw, we saw a shift in it going from open protocols to then um, centralized, I guess, authority. So in this case, we're recording via Zoom. Zoom creates the software built on top of the internet and it records the discussion, which then we put onto YouTube. YouTube centralizes that file and disperses it or distributes it to users across the internet as well. And this was a really fruitful time for entrepreneurs to innovate because you could effectively build on top of something which was open and free for people to access. What we've seen more recently is the rise of Web3. And I know we've had a lot of um, comments on this from people like Vinoth from the Equity Force. So he wants us to talk about this. So Web3 is basically the opposite happening. So it's an unwinding of that kind of centralization. So we hear about these terms called the blockchain. And basically the blockchain, if I could be so simplistic in my you know, overview of it, it would be effectively taking away that that source in the middle. So in this case, Zoom or in this or in Twitter or anything like that, and creating an environment where people on the network support the network. And it's basically taking away that decentralization to an extent, to an extent. It's important to say to an extent. And what the cryptocurrencies do, you know, we have Ethereum, we have Bitcoin to a lesser extent, um, and we have other uh, cryptocurrencies. What the cryptocurrencies do, and the best analogy of this is probably gas or petrol if you're in Australia, gas if you're in the United States, they basically fuel the network. So they provide the incentives for the nodes or the individual operators, the miners sometimes called, on that network to support the network. And what happens is effectively you have um, a blockchain, which is effectively a, a, a place or a, not a place, it's a, it's a mechanism that basically ensures that the, the, the network agrees on things that are happening on that network at any one time. So typically, you know, we just talked about cybersecurity. If we're sending this over Zoom, 
I have Zoom installed on my computer, which you might call an agent. I put the video feed goes into the agent, it encrypts it, it sends that message in ones and zeros through the internet to your computer, through Zoom's servers. Um, and it's you know, de-encoded or um, unencoded on the other end. And then you can see what I'm, what I'm doing and no one can kind of intercept us. Basically, Zoom controls that process. On the blockchain, everyone can see what's happening. And at the same time, it is secure because you know that you're sending it to a certain person on the blockchain. Um, they have their private and public keys and they can access things. Now, the thing that I think has happened here is we've gone through that classic crossing the chasm type cycle where the, the cryptocurrencies had to be pumped up. So things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, Dogecoin, all of these crazy, seemingly crazy cryptocurrencies had to be pumped up to provide that early incentive for innovators on, the, on this new web 3.0, this new internet. And basically what it means is that now there is an incentive for people to work on these um, public ledgers. So there is now an incentive for software engineers to move away from web 2.0 and go to web 3.0 because now they can see that it actually, there is a currency here. There is some type of incentive for me to operate on this network. And this is a really fascinating thing. And I've never seen this in my life. I don't know if you've seen this, mate, but basically the shift to web three is in my mind, a huge, huge, huge thing. I don't know the implications for it. I'm still working my way through this. I think everyone goes through this period, what do they call it? Crypto curious. I'm not really fascinated at all by cryptocurrencies in themselves. I'm fascinated by the technology. And so there's a free course that you can do on MIT um, and uh, on YouTube. So MIT Open Courseware, I'll put a link in the description. You can go, it's a, probably going to take you a few days, to be honest, to get through all of the lectures. There's a university level discussion of blockchain technologies. It's not to do with cryptocurrencies, just to be clear. It's to do with blockchain technologies and how the cryptocurrencies kind of feed into that. And anyway, this traditionally the way people are interacting with Web 3.0 through cryptocurrencies at the moment is they're going to something like Coinbase, which trades, I think I should know this off the top of my head. Is it on the NASDAQ or is it on, it's on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol C-O-I-N, coin. And typically people go to Coinbase, they get a, a digital wallet, if you like, if a crypto wallet, and then they can buy and sell cryptocurrencies. That's typically the interaction a lot of people have with this. I think you can go, you, you can definitely go a lot um, further than that for more advanced users. You can have your own keys and you can go and you can just explore the blockchain for yourself. Um, I think the thing to keep in mind here is just to keep your wits about you. There are people and actors out there that are very, very, very um, pro Bitcoin, pro Ethereum, pro this. And they typically start the conversation with, I'm a libertarian, buy Bitcoin. Um, that's not a knock on that line of thinking. It's just more so that you have to understand their incentives for saying that. And so I think, you know, for me personally, I've been on a journey with this for at least six months, maybe longer, maybe a few years, to be honest. I remember talking about it in 2017. And I'm now starting to realize the true power of the decentralization of these, um, these technologies. And um, I think NFTs, personally, I think it's a bit wild. Um, I don't own any FT, in, NFTs and I'm not in, a, in the frame of mind to do that, to be honest. Just what's in an NFT straight off the bat for those of you that are new to it. Um, well, a digital currency is just like our digital currency. You 
can go down to the cafe, spend $20. You set, you give them a note. They give you a $10 in change. You can then take that $10 down to the next cafe and that works down there. That's basically a cryptocurrency. An NFT would be a unique thing. Um, so like a work of art that's only produced once and, you know, has kind of, you know, this it's scarcity basically. And so I guess the, I don't know if you've dove into this much, mate, but what I would say is companies like Coinbase are definitely the picks and shovels play on this right now. Um, I think that will change in time. There is an ETF in Australia currently on the market called Crip um, that invests in the companies around the industry, like the infrastructure, the application layer, those types of businesses that support it. Um, I guess the one implication I haven't fully got to got around yet is basically what happens to capitalism if you know, Web 3.0 becomes a massive thing. I don't actually understand the true implications of that yet. All I know is the producer surplus. If, you, if you've done economics at university or at high school, you would know that there's basically consumer and producer surplus in the chart. And when friction is added or removed, something happens to either the, the producer, the supplier's um, surplus, and something happens to the consumer surplus. And the producer surplus seems to be getting ripped out of web 3.0 from what I can tell. Maybe I've got that wrong. Let me know on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you've done a deep dive into this yet, mate. I'm, I, I feel like you would have and you would have some thoughts to add, but if you don't, maybe we can revisit it in 2022. I don't know any basic thoughts. I'll just quickly say that, you know, like I look at two things here. One is like um, crypto as the store of value for some people, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's one angle. And then sort of blockchain or other technologies that basically are, are used for monetizing other things that you build. And the, the example I like to give is if you think about the internet, then the internet um, developers actually made nothing off the internet. That's right? it. So yeah. Uh, the internet protocol developers made nothing off the internet. The, the people who made HTTP, so Tim Berners-Lee made nothing off the internet really, uh, but Facebook and Google and Apple and all did, right? So this is a way of saying that, well, if you develop an interesting technology and people build on top of that, then there is a way to monetize that. I don't know how far it goes. And I think the other thing, it one thing this doesn't gel with is there are a lot of people who contribute ideas that help towards commercialization of things. And there's a difference between building something as a base layer that is not commercializable by itself, mm. um, right? So academic research is a great example. People do academic research, they produce ideas. Those ideas then, you know, multiple of those ideas merge together um, to create yeah, a commercializable analogy. product, right? Well, those academicians then maybe make some money off by consulting or somebody wants them on some board or things like that, but they're not directly making the money or they could provide venture funds to companies like Google and things like that, right? So an algorithm by itself is the page rank algorithm, for example, by itself mm. is, is an algorithm. Putting that to work, right? Multiple people have developed page rank algorithms simultaneously and uh, which is the algorithm used by Google search. Um, Right, like so, Kleinberg, Professor Kleinberg is an example of person who actually, you know, had a paper published on that as well. Uh, but is he bitter that uh, Google is making? I don't know, but I mean, I would say that as an academician, you'd be happy to see your work in action. So I think there is that angle. This, this is, I think, this is a little bit of Silicon Valley evangelism to some extent that you know we need to, you know, empower this and empower that. So I don't know. I'm on the, I'm on the fence. I think the blockchain technology is interesting. But, but yeah, maybe this is a topic for 2022. It is a topic for 2022. Um, just so people are fully aware, uh, you don't have to have public blockchains. You can have private blockchains. They've been around for a while. Um, many companies are working on these. You can do semi-public kind of blockchains where there is some, dis uh, some centralization. So don't get 
you know, bright eyed or bushy tailed by all the buzzwords, the NFTs, all that type of stuff. You don't have to own it. If you don't want to invest in this sector or this theme, you don't have to. Um, and don't feel like you're missing out and you have to do anything because I think investing is one of those things where, um, you know, the grass can often look greener across the other side, but when you get across there, you're often too late or something else, you realize you're out of your depth. Um, if you are going to wade into the space at all, I would say just keep your wits about you. That's my first kind of disclaimer. The second thing is um, make sure you understand what you're investing. Go and do that MIT course. If you think this is the biggest thing since sliced bread, well, become an expert in it before you invest in it. Um, you know, that's that's the approach that I've taken. I, I haven't invested in any NFTs, any of that sort of stuff, um, because I just don't understand it well enough. I'm intrigued, but I don't understand it well enough. So I think the second one here doesn't really have too many takeaways, but you can study companies like Coinbase. You can go and create a wallet for yourself just to get a feel for it. Um, you can look at uh, cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. Um, there are many others. So just go and check them out. Um, the third sector that we want to talk about and one that uh, is we, we've talked about a lot in 2021 because it's been a, a massive topic. We've had IPOs, we've had companies with $100 billion valuations with no revenue. It's been quite um, a wild ride, pun intended. So this is electric vehicles or EVs for short. Mate, I'm going to hand it over to you. And I actually had a comment you know, for preparation, uh, preparing for this episode, this episode to say, is Tesla still a buy? Um, I think that's a question um, for a lot of people to, to digest um, after such a tremendous run over the past five years. Yeah, so like, I mean, I think electric vehicles are now past the phase where I think electric vehicles are happening. Uh, they're going to be the majority of the sales of new vehicles in the future. Probably going to happen much faster than people think it's going to happen. Uh, yet at the same time, we are still in the very early phases, right? Like, so the, you know, so I, I reckon, you know, I like to compare this with saying that, well, we're still probably in the iPhone three, iPhone four <laughs> stage, right? I mean, we're not yet in iPhone 13. Um, or iPhone 14 okay. stage, that is decades away. But <clears throat> we're in that very early growth stage still of where there's lots more electric vehicles sold. There's gonna be other electric vehicles other than Tesla. There are other electric vehicles out there uh, other than Tesla's, although you know, my, in my opinion, right now buying anything other than a Tesla is basically a waste of your funds. But uh, <laughs> sometimes you like another brand more than, uh, more than Tesla and that's okay. Um, so I think that, that's one side of the coin. So I think this is a secular growth area um, mm -hmm. that we can, I think we can agree and check box that. The other thing that is interesting is, uh, I think this can be a very high margin area just because of it allows for a change of business model, which has basically been pioneered by Tesla, right? So lower cost of servicing, fewer service visits, therefore you can make most of the margin on the car. And, uh, you know, Tesla now is the highest growth margin um, mass scale autom automobile manufacturer, where you may assume a mass scale automobile manufacturer is a manufacturer which is producing at least a million vehicles a year. So Tesla's at that run rate. So, so that basically shows electric vehicles can actually be profitable, much more profitable than gas vehicles uh, or um, internal combustion or ice age vehicles are. Um, will that hold as you move downstream? That's a good question. Like, you know, when downstream is, is when you go downstream from a model three to even cheaper model uh, and things like that. Those are the question marks. Um, is it worthwhile to pay $100 billion or $80 billion for companies that have yet to produce anything? <laughs> 
I don't know. Like, I mean, I really don't know. I think it is a big question mark, a lot of leap of faith there. Uh, we've talked about this before. So is Rivian worth whatever it is worth today? You know, it sold 11 vehicles or 12 vehicles, I think, in this quarter. Um, so that, that's a lot of vehicles sold. <laughs> they could have been handcrafted. It almost looks like, you know, the, it's like the Bentley. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that, you know, Lucid is there. Um, I think what I would say is that, you know, watch Tesla, but watch some of the Chinese manufacturers as well yeah. so there's a company called neo uh yep. xpeng um there's a china is the largest electric vehicle market of the world right now uh so they're a little farther ahead in the game it's worth watching that that's what i'll say with electric vehicle is the the other thing with electric vehicles is that there's other things that are happening there are other things that are happening so uh, autonomy is probably going to happen um that's something interesting to keep an eye on then the other interesting thing to keep an eye on is uh, electric vehicle infrastructure right so what's the gas pump equivalent uh, petrol pump equivalent for electric vehicles and tesla has its own but you know that there, there is an opportunity here for someone to have uh, wide scale or some couple of companies to actually, this is, this is one thing in where I think you will not, you know, duopoly or quad poly or, you know, uh, tripoly or something like that would actually be advantageous because you do need scale. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this is something to watch um, as to, you know, the electrification and, the, you know, the petrol pump equivalents, what are those going to be? How well are they going to be integrated? How are they going to be connected technology wise and how well they can be used by the vehicle manufacturers? That's something to keep an eye on. The other thing I'll say is that for the traditional automakers, just watch their debt levels and think about the stranded asset problems. So they, you know, uh, un for a long time, the, the bear case that the bears love making is, well, the other guys are going to make the electric vehicles and just watch for competition. Now we know that it's not that simple. You can't take an existing factory or existing engine uh, development line and turn that into a battery manufacturing line. It doesn't work that way. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. If those companies have a lot of debt, are they, you know, what, what's going to happen to them? Uh, what else can I say quickly? Um, How do you keep think an eye plays into this? Waymo has had a lot of, you know, uh, movement of, uh, I guess, executives, right? So, so did GM, uh, cruise division. I don't have, so Waymo is, I think it is possible. Waymo has got some pilots and some mm. uh, approvals in some regions. I don't think Waymo's technology scales in terms of self-driving. So it's, it's basically a fully mapped LIDAR-driven, LIDAR you know, very expensive equipment and fully mapped, uh, you know, limited area. Uh, approach. I don't think that scales, but maybe that's the way to go. And maybe that's how you get more markets. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, my view of Alphabet's other bets division is that all the other bets are basically failures. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, Alphabet still is a very much an advertising company and it remains. So all the other bets are just other bets that are, you know, they're in the skunk lab and have remained in the skunk lab and they've turned off. I feel like I need to defend my position. <laughs> Well, but you know, like you know, whether it's Google balloons or the the balloons that they did, or the fiber optics that they were doing, or the way more that they're doing, uh, the the good news for Google is that it doesn't need those other bets. It's it's core business is just fine, yeah, and, and so it's true. growing strong, and it's not an expensive stock. So 
uh, that's the good news for it, you know, and every big company thinks that they need to be in five different areas. Uh, they don't, which is the mm. reality. They need to learn that lesson from Apple, which doesn't try to do multiple things. You, know, you need to focus, you need to pick a few bets and run with those. And if you're, if you're a big company, you can win on those few bets because you can hire the best, right? Instead of trying to spread yourself thin. Um, so that, that's my view of, uh, of Google. Uh, there's uh, questions around, this is relevant for the SX. So mining companies, lithium, um, cobalt, and things like that, you know, there's gonna be strong demand for those, but you know, mm. is there enough demand to come through? I don't know, I'm not a mining expert, but this is something, we know that there is a battery short supply still. Um, and uh, yeah, so mm. I'll stop so, there before answering your question. <laughs> yeah, so there is, a lot to go on in the EV sector. I think like the other two sectors, it seems like the is a tangent, you know, uh, function in terms of learning curve. You start off steep and you just kind of keep going. Um, but the reality is you've got to learn these base technologies in order to understand these industries, at least to be confident, um, even just, you know, to converse in it. I think that's really important. So um, if you have any great resources on this, um, be sure to share them with us. You can head to, to Seven Investing to get Anirban's um, and the team's insights on these types of things. And you can watch all the videos too. Um, so is te Tesla still a buy? I think that's the, the question. Um, yeah, well, you know, Tesla is still uh, in my family's portfolio, the largest holding. Uh, I did sell some because mm. it's become uncomfortably large. Um, and, uh, but, you know, here's the thing. It's, it's a, if if Tesla can continue growing its uh, output volume set, and their goal is to grow at 50% compounded over the next 10 years, it would probably be the largest automaker times two mm. um, by then. Uh, and they are at that point where now they've made those all the significant investments, a lot of significant investments in factory and development, and they're going to be in significant operating leverage mode now. There's going to be a lot of it's cash flow positive, it's profitable, it has got a balance sheet that would that looks like a tech company that doesn't look like an auto company, right? I mean, it has 15, 16 billion dollars of cash on the balance mm -hmm. sheet. It's paid off most of its debt and it's probably going to pay most of it off by the end of this year. Um, the, the, the rating agencies have still not rated Tesla as this it's still rated as a junk <laughs> they have not issued bonds because they're still rated as junk but you know rating agencies are always behind um, the curve on these things so uh, and it's got a p it's i wouldn't say tesla is cheap but tesla is for, for a growth stock it's probably the highest growth stock that you could own in among the big tech um, if I say to people, if you don't own a position in Tesla, I look at Tesla now in my portfolio as Tesla is the new Apple in my portfolio. For the last decade, Apple has been like this cornerstone portfolio position that I've owned that, you know, blue chip company that I know is going to do well. Uh, and one that I can actually buy on drawdowns. Uh, I now give that position to Tesla and say, you know, mm. if it falls by 30%, because this is a company is an incredibly strong position uh, right now, and they've got a lot of other things in the pipeline. So Tesla is not just a car company, it's an energy company, it's an AI company, and they have some of the best teams in some of these things that they're working on. So there's a lot of upside optionality as well, but I think Tesla is just cheap. Uh, if you think, if you're, if you're a long-term investor, if you're, if you're thinking five-year horizons, um, five-year timeframes, and Tesla is just cheap just as an auto company, everything else is, 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 is an upside. And 
you know, there's still a market debate, but the market debate has reduced to a large extent. Yeah, if, if I thought Tesla was overvalued, I would have reduced my position even further, but you know, it's, it's a 20%, 20% holding, 20% plus holding in wow. the portfolio. Um, you know, I'm confident to hold it. Largely was, yeah, I understand the company and B, uh, I understand it's going to be volatile, uh, but I, I do also realize that it's going to be significant. It's going to be a solid market beater over the long term, is my view. Mm. Uh, of course, I could mm. be wrong. I've been mm. wrong in the past. I'll be wrong in the future. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> and the- and they've got Elon Musk, who is, I think, probably the best entrepreneur in the last hundred years that the world has seen. So, yeah, so that speaks. That's that stands for something. So, yeah, I think that's it. You know, you just the, to our conversations we've had recently. If you own a company like Tesla you know, make sure you've got that thick skin, make sure you're prepared for volatility because it's a business that does have, you know, a quite a, a polarizing debate around it. And that can lead to lots of buying, selling sometimes really fast. Um, 19 times sales last 12 months, but also um, growing in very, very strong double digits. So the PE is 300 out. something. <laughs> yeah, but that PE with operating leverage, which we know with with operating leverage, meaning revenue rising faster than costs, the PE, the profit um, in that PE ratio um, comes way down. So um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really interesting business and I'm so glad to get your updated thoughts on it. And if you want to, you can follow Anir Barn on Twitter at 7 um, at, at seven I'll put links in the show notes. Ask him questions. He loves to talk about this company. I know so does Danielle, um, a QA who I know you've spoken to before about this. Uh, and you can head to seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe. If you're going for an annual plan, don't forget that holiday coupon code to get a hundred bucks off, not only in 2022, but also 2023 and beyond. If you want to hear more from me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Owen Rask. Um, I don't yet have a crypto punk as my um, display picture, maybe in 2022. And uh, you can find me at rask.com.au. That's rask.com.au where you'll also find more episodes of the australian investors podcast if you like this episode be sure to hit subscribe give us a thumbs up leave us a review we really don't have that many reviews so please leave us a few more i think they help i don't know why maybe it's just an ego thing but we definitely like them and we love hearing from you so mate as always thanks for taking some time to join me on the show oh pleasure is always mine thank you for having me